Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Scripture reading from Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would, be, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill the, all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, even as we sit in the stillness and silence of this place, the reality is there are so many competing voices that swirl around us telling us to achieve more, do more, buy more. Uh, there's a voice inside our own mind, many of us, that, that inner critic that tells us we're never going to amount to anything or our best days are behind us. Uh, we enter into this moment from all different perspectives, believing or unbelieving, somewhere in between, some of us remembering a time where you seemed so close to us and now you seem a million miles away and we're wondering what happened to you or maybe what happened to us. Uh, for some of us, uh, being a part of a church like this and hearing scriptures like this are a part of our regular routine and uh, daily sustenance and we need to be shaken and waken up to the freshness and the newness of your grace. Some of us can't believe we're actually sitting in a church service right now, maybe brought by a friend or a family member. But help us to see, however we find ourselves in this very moment, that none of us is here by accident, that each of us is here because you have something you want to say to us. And so we invite you now to teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to your grace, to your truth, to your presence. Would you enliven us, Lord, we pray, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, not only is this a big day as we baptize Bo, this is a big month for Florence and me as we celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And uh, so we just celebrated January 1st. We have a trip coming up in a couple months. Hope she was, uh, as we were going to sleep, Florence is reading. What are you doing, Florence, on, on your phone? Looking at places in Costa Rica. So uh, a, couple, a couple months from now. But I'm remembering back to 15 years ago from right about now, we were in, the Flo in Florida. Uh, we did uh, five days in the Florida Keys and then five days at Mammoth Mountain in January. It was, it was uh, snorkeling and then snowboarding. It was glorious. And this one day in Florida, we said, hey, let's drive up to the Everglades, this newlywed couple. We get in the rental car. We go to this alligator farm where they take you on an airboat ride through all these channels. And you're seeing these tremendously large monsters in the water. 12-foot-long, dinosaur-looking alligators. And afterward, after the great tour, you go back to the alligator farm, and they have their pet alligator that's like the biggest one in all the land. You know, it's 15 feet long. It looks like it can eat a whole schoolhouse at one time. And, uh, and the, the guy gets in. We're kind of sitting in these little bleachers. It's a slow day, apparently, because it's basically Florence and me and like two other couples. And uh, 
And he does all these tricks, you know, he holds the gator's mouth shut and the thing's writhing and moving. He's just kind of on it like a cowboy on a bronco. And at some point he says, now I need a volunteer. Who wants to come down here with me? At which point everybody sits on their hands and avoids eye contact, except for my wife, Florence, who leans forward and raises her hand. And before he can say anything, she has bounded down three steps of the bleachers and is about to vault over the fence on top of this animal. And he needs to stand up and stop her and say, no, 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 no. That was a joke. That was the part where I'm supposed, everyone's supposed to be terrified. And, she, and he says, what, what brings you here? She says, I'm on my honeymoon. He goes, you are crazy. <laughs> and he turns to me and goes, and you are brave. <laughs> now, that's a fun memory for me, but that's also kind of a, a dim glimpse into what happens when you come to these scriptures. Because we kind of show up to watch something. We show up to hear something. And Jesus actually turns to you and says, this story is not only about God, this is your story too. Who wants to come down and be a part of this story? Not just the story of a general renewal of all things, but actually the renewal of your life. Not just the platitude that God loves everyone, but that God actually knows you and loves you. And this is what we see in Jesus' baptism today. We see Jesus saying to you, I, look at my identity. Look at who I am. And then he says, I actually identify with you. And because of his identity, and because he identifies with you and with me, he actually gives you a new identity. First, let's look at his identity. His baptism reveals his unique identity as the divine son of God. You know, it's very common for us today to say things like, Jesus was a great teacher, uh, I like his teachings. I like the love your neighbor stuff. I don't think he was the son of God, right? Uh, I, I like the peace be upon everybody stuff, uh, but I don't know so much about the, the one who was crucified and raised from the dead for all creation. And he says, you know, actually, you don't get that option. Let me show you. His baptism reveals his unique identity. In this whole piece and, and the part of scripture right before that wasn't read for you, you find these three different voices and they're all saying the same thing. The ancient scriptures are talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, God in the flesh, who would come and make all things new. John the Baptist, who's the one that baptized Jesus, he's the forerunner of this Messiah. He's the prophet who comes out of the wilderness saying things like, the one who comes after me will bring righteousness and justice for all. He says, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. So you have the scriptures saying Jesus is the son of God. John the Baptist saying the one who comes after me is God. And then you have the voice of the father himself, that heavenly voice as Jesus comes out of the water. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All attesting. See, Jesus is central to the father's heart and plan, which means that what you and I do with Jesus is critical. Uh, Houston Smith, one of the most renowned and foremost scholars of sociology and anthropology of the last hundred years, um, he said that Jesus, among all other religious figures in history, is unique among all because he's the only one on two lists. The list of people who claim to be God and the list of people who changed the world. You have plenty of people who have claimed to be God over time, and every now and then they can convince a dozen people to follow them, but it is gone as soon as that person's gone. And there are plenty of people who have changed the world. 
Nobody to the magnitude Christ has, I'd make the case. History books would as well. But he is unique among all as the one who claimed to be God and who utterly transformed the world. In other words, he was either a lunatic or who he said he was, the son of God. But he doesn't leave to us that middle ground of I just sort of appreciate him from a distance. What you do with him utterly matters. This is why we're starting this church here, so that you can have a community of people to wrestle with the claims of Christ together, to see what it looks like to follow him, to have other people to encourage you around the way. But make no mistake about it. He comes to you and me and says, either crown me as king or kill me as a fraud. But there really is no middle ground. He shows his divinity. He also reveals new creation. See, to get that, you have to go back to the very page one of the Bible. Genesis chapter one. This is the uh, account of creation, and it starts like this. This is the first word of the first book. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the heaven was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, in the very earliest stages of creation, you have God the creator, God's spirit hovering over the waters, bringing order out of chaos, and God's word going out, let there be light. And now in Jesus' baptism, you have Jesus Christ coming out of the waters, which the, the gospel writer John refers to Jesus as the word of God made flesh. So you have the word of God in person coming out of the water with the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, with the Holy Spirit coming and alighting on him like a dove. Again, all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, coming together for a family photo because this is not only creation, this is new creation. That there's a new creation that's being birthed in the midst of the old. That new life has actually begun even now. And on this day, the servant king is inaugurated. Is new creation. So he asks you, what in your life needs to be new? What part of your life or this world to you seems like a dead end? Where do you need to see new creation bursting forth? And he says, friends, don't just watch the show. Come and be a part of the story. You could bring all of those things to me because I am bringing new life even out of dead ends. It shows his divinity, it shows new creation, it shows that he is bringing a new peace. It's very intriguing that when the Holy Spirit comes, it says it alighted on him as like a dove. Now, the dove is a very strong image throughout biblical theology. As Genesis 8, after the flood, it was Noah sending out a dove that would return to show that judgment is over, that new life is beginning. And so here, Jesus is the inaugurator of the kingdom that John the Baptist has been proclaiming. And it is significant that Jesus comes as the king, not under the sign of the lion, or the tiger, or the bull, or the bear, or the hawk, or the eagle, or the viper. He comes under the sign of the dove. And he says, my kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. This world needs peace, as you and I both know. A world needs peace, as you and I both know. And he says, I am already here. I am closer to you than the air you breathe. 
You know, this, this week I had the funny experience of receiving text messages. My buddy Scott sent me a message. I was on the treadmill at the gym and I saw your face on the news today. My face was on the news because we did a prayer vigil for peace in the Middle East on Monday night. Uh, last Sunday we were here. We were praying for peace in the Middle East for all leaders, for all children, for all people involved because the world knows it needs peace. And he says, I've come to bring that sort of peace. But it all goes back to his identity. If this really is God in the flesh, if he really is starting a new creation in the midst of the old, if he actually is the Prince of Peace who brings peace to all, then the starting point for growing in faith and following Christ is not, will he fit all of my demands? Will he do everything that I ask of him? Uh, does he completely line up with all of my politics? Does he completely line up with all the ways that I want to use my sexuality and my body and my life? Is he going to rubber stamp all the things that I want, like all the people that I like, hate all the people that I hate? Is he only going to sign the checks that I write? See, friends, when we look at it like that, we have the telescope backwards. We're looking through the wrong end. This is not the way that we come to the king of the world. The ultimate question is, did these things happen? Is he really who he said that he is? And if so, the smartest thing for us to do is to run to him as quickly as possible, or more importantly, to see how fast he's running toward you right now. See his identity and see how he identifies with you. See how he identifies with you particularly. You know, one theologian wrote that perhaps Jesus' first miracle was actually his humility. Maybe Jesus' first miracle was not turning water into wine or healing anybody, but for the entire human race, coming all the way down into it, into the waters of repentance and baptism. Jesus' whole life will be like this. He will be crucified between two criminals on a cross, and he begins his ministry in a river with a bunch of sinners. Sinners like us. So to be a Christian does not mean you get your life together and then you come to him and he accepts you. It means he comes to you particularly right now, exactly where you are. From his baptism to his execution, Jesus stays low at our level, identifying with us as completely, he's as completely one with us as he is one with God for all eternity. God become flesh. A God who knows what it's like to be cold knows what it's like to be afraid, knows what it's like to be excluded, knows what it's like to be hungry. A God who identifies particularly with you, he wants to redeem us. And to do so, he identifies with us. Um, Dorothy Sayers, this is a quote on page one here. Uh, I'll, I'll read it for you, or page two. In her book, The Man Born to Be King, she wrote, the master's the only good man I ever met who knew how miserable it felt to be bad. It was as if he got right inside you and felt all the horrible things you were doing to yourself. He identifies with you. I mean, that's part of what's going on when he comes to, to John and John says, I, I'm not supposed to baptize you. Right? This is the baptism for the forgiveness of sins and you have never sinned. And what is Jesus doing in that moment? He's not being baptized for his sins. He's being baptized for yours and for mine. Identifying with us. Fulfilling all righteousness is what it says. In other words, all the ways that you have failed to love or to walk away from temptation or, 
the ways you've slandered, the ways that you've harbored bitterness, Jesus completely fulfills all righteousness on your behalf, which means that you and I can get off the treadmill of performance. You can get off the exhausting treadmill of what have you done lately. Hear Jesus say, I have done it. It is finished. There's no more frantic running. There's a a longer quote that I want to read to you. It's on page two. Uh, I want you to hear this. Here's Henry Nouwen in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, saying, Home is the center of my being, where I can hear the voice that says, You are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus made it clear that the same voice that he heard in the Jordan River and on Mount Tabor can be heard by me. He makes it clear that there is a home with the Father. But if I decide to keep control, if I go out into the world, I will keep running around asking everything else, do you really love me? Do you really love me? I give all the power to the voices of the world. It is the world that defines me then. The world's love is full of ifs. Yes, I love you if you are good looking, if you are intelligent, if you are well off, if you are educated, if you have connections, if you are productive. Endless ifs, and it is not too hard to know when I have left home spiritually. Resentment, jealousy, desire for revenge, lust, greed, ambition, rivalry, are all obvious signs that I have left home, that I'm letting the world define me with all of its love full of ifs. But when I am home with the Father, when I know I'm the beloved, I can confront and console and admonish without any fear of rejection or need of affirmation. I can suffer persecution without the need for revenge or receive praise without using it as proof of my goodness. He identifies with you and he calls you home. But finally, he gives you a new identity in baptism. The Apostle Paul later will talk about baptism in Romans chapter six, writing to a church at the center of the empire. And in chapter six he says, don't you know that when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ's death and you're baptized into his resurrected life. In other words, when you're baptized, everything that's true of him is true of you. That, that word from God, you are the beloved in whom I'm well pleased, is to you. Friends, what would be different tomorrow if you woke up and that was the loudest voice you heard? How would that face your, your review from your boss? How would that help you to be a boss of the people that you manage? How would that change the way you parent? The way that you care for other people on your block? the way you view yourself when you look in the mirror. The loudest word upon you is not what have you done for this world lately and will love you if you've done enough. The loudest word is you are the beloved of God. There's plenty of stories of Martin Luther, the famous reformer who was wildly educated, wildly smart, wildly successful in many ways. He also had a terrible inner critic that always told him he was horrible and terrible and doing wrong. He also had plenty of external critics telling him things like, we're going to kill you. I mean, it was a rough life. And uh, he would go back to his chamber, his bedchamber, his bedroom. That's what they called it back then, I guess. And uh, he would, there's stories of him going and putting his face on his head, uh, his head on his hand and saying, I have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the truest thing about me. So Christian friends, uh, when, for me, when I go back, I, I was born and raised in San Diego, but my grandparents were in Chicago. I was baptized in Chicago. 
anytime I'm within 20 miles of Chicago, I go back, I try to go back to the church where I was baptized and I sit in front of the same baptismal font. I'm not trying to be overly religious, but I'm going back to the place where it all started because that's the truest thing about me. So when it feels like I'm a failure, when it feels like I've gotten it wrong, the truest thing about me is I belong to God and I'm the beloved. When I'm doing really well and I'm wildly successful and people are saying really nice things about us in the news, the truest thing about me is I'm the beloved of God and he'll never leave me or forsake me. Don't you see where that gives you a whole new foundation of your entire life? You can begin to love with no strings attached. You can begin to work as hard as you've ever worked in your life, not because you need a pat on the head, but because you work as the beloved. You can receive criticism without getting bitter or defeated. It's a whole new way of living. It also gives you a new family. Baptism gives you a new family. I don't have time to go into all of it, but throughout the New Testament, it talks about being baptized into the family of God. And so Bo, as we said before the service with your family, Bo did not lose his family today, his biological family, but Bo gained an entirely new family of all times and places. Uh, there's a song by Arcade Fire who wrote on their album, Half Light 2, the song's No Celebration. Um, there's a part, they're longing for place, they're longing for community, and the singer says, I want to wash away my sins in the presence of my friends. My friends, that's what baptism is. It is Christ washing away your sins in the presence of your friends. There's a saying that says, blood is thicker than water, but actually, I would make the case that this water is thicker than blood that this actually unites us together as a family of faith. It gives you a new identity, a new family, and it gives you a new direction in life. Because throughout the scriptures, water not only cleanses and, and refreshes and purifies and sustains, water also is often a symbol of chaos, right? Water is where they knew ships would sail off into and storms would happen. And so there's this imagery here where Jesus is coming out of the water of chaos, right? But he willingly went into the water of chaos. So to be a Christian means to know your beloved and to be in the family, and it also means that you willingly go into the waters of chaos in this world. That a church, the gathered, the gathered community of the baptized, is not those who are more elite or who have any stones to throw at anybody. It's a bunch of forgiven sinners who are now redirected outward to move into the messiness of this world. It gives new meaning to all that we do. And so Brittany and Brian, as you join this church officially as members, friends, as you consider becoming officially members of this church as well, know that this is the calling, the call of the community of faith, to be beloved, to be family. And as you are, you actually become the very presence of Christ wherever you go, the hands and feet of Jesus, who is renewing you and renewing the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do pray now on this great day of baptism, that for those of us that are baptized, you remind us that you have committed yourself to us. For those of us that are investigating faith, Lord, would you do the hard work in our lives and convince us that you actually love us this much? And for all of us, would you guide us closer together and closer to you that we may be the very hands and feet of Christ wherever we go for our good and for your glory. Amen. <laughs>